Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Listen for what God is saying to you. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again, it's written, Don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him, and the angels came and took care of him. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture. Amen. Good morning again. It's, it feels like it's been a lot longer since we've been in this space, uh, since we were outside last weekend, uh, but it's good to be back and settle into a, um, begin settling into a new year. Um, thank you for joining me um, this morning as we do that work. Um, please join me in prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and worship and uh, dig a little bit deeper into who you are and who we might be in you. We invite your spirit into the space um, of our hearts and our minds this morning. Ready us to receive what it is that you have to share, what it is that you have to do within us, and help us to be cour- courageous enough and brave enough to let it happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a big um, United Methodist kind of educational event um, that I did not attend, but there were several people in town um, who were, and because the focus a lot was about church planning, and so there were a lot of people in town um, who had uh, relationships with people at UBC, coaching relationships or otherwise, um, and uh, I was one of those people um, uh, reached out to me um, upon the uh, suggestion of Trey Hall, who's one of the founders of UBC and is now living in England, um, he had said, you know, you really need to talk to Emily because she had some questions and was sort of like had a lot of similar kind of life situations and experiences that I had. And so we sat down um, and she was trying to decide um, and discern whether or not she should plant a church in New York City. We talked about all of the sort of different and complicated things to consider, things like gentrification. Would she be participating in it by... Um, planting a church in this neighborhood. Things like how to try to start something new and and how that impacts your family. Um, She has a a two-year-old daughter uh, like me. And and then we also talked about things like the joys and challenges of trying to create an authentic, attentive, and intentional faith community, just sort of in general, right? So toward the end of the conversation, she asked me this. 
would you do it again? And because I was trying to be as honest as I could, I said this. I said, I'm glad I did it. I've seen God do amazing things, and I've seen people come together and come alive in these really phenomenal ways. But it has cost me a lot in ways that I anticipated um, and also in ways that I didn't anticipate. And I don't know if I would do it again, but I'm glad I did it. Maybe that sounds sort of weird um, as the pastor who planted this church <laughs> to say it to you, but I'm trying to be honest, right? Because I bet I'm not alone. I bet that there are other folks in this room who have started something, who have walked out, started walking down a path and pushed their way through some really difficult stuff that if they knew what they were in for at the front end, they'd probably walk away. Too chicken or too lazy or too control freaky to be willing to enter into whatever it was, give up whatever they needed to give up, take it on. And so I think there's kind of a saving grace in the mystery when we begin something, in the not knowing. How many things in this world would not have happened if people knew that it, what it would cost them? Did Jesus know what he was in for? In our passage for today, uh, here's what we need to remember. Jesus is starting out. It's easy to kind of like think about this through the lens of Easter, right? So we like know how the story ends. But kind of put yourself where he is. He's fresh from baptism, which was kind of the formal start of his ministry. And he has no idea what's ahead. He probably knows that it won't be easy and that he'll need to do some solid inner work um, to get himself ready for the journey. So he heads into the wilderness after this baptism um, to reflect intentionally about three things. First, who am I? For 40 days, Jesus fasts and reflects and prays and does all the things to strengthen his heart and his mind. And this number, 40, um, if you're familiar with scripture or the story of, of um, God's people um, in the, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, you would know that 40 isn't just a random number, but that it's a direct connection to his identity as someone who belongs to a much bigger story, a story that has shaped his people understanding, people's understanding of who God is and how God acts, that God loves them, has a purpose for them, and that God keeps God's promises. 40 years in the desert after freedom from Egypt— a shift in the identity of Israel from slaves to liberated, oppressed to empowered. Jesus took a spiritual pilgrimage that was intentionally rooted in this question, who am I? And we too have a spiritual identity that's rooted in a story of liberation and empowerment, right? As followers of Jesus, we're connected to saints past and present who show us what it means to be in a people in relationship with God, what it means to weave ourselves into a tapestry of faith in uncertainty, courage in fear. And so Jesus took time to reflect on who he was. But he also needed to pray about why he was and think about that. So this question, why am I? If he was truly living the human experience, I believe that Jesus didn't know what the shape of his ministry was going to look like exactly. I mean, clearly he had a sense, right, an inner direction and a draw toward reforming his tradition. And he took time to dig into this deep question, who am I or, or why am I? Where do I fit in God's bigger story? And that's a huge part of the clarity, I think, that Jesus is seeking during these 40 days. Okay, I kind of like get the big picture, but what specifically, how do I fit in, right? And so this is what he comes up with. This is what he says when he go back, goes back uh, to his people after being in the desert. This is in, in Luke. He says, he goes back to his home church, his home synagogue, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. 
He sent me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They then try to throw him off a cliff, but this is what Jesus realizes in the desert, this great reconciliation and realignment of the world. This is why Jesus is. And it's big. It's big, really big, and wonderful, and scary, right? Because everything is set up against this kind of alignment. The energy that is required to stay strong in the face of opposition, the kind of clarity you need to keep going and growing has to be grounded not just in who you are and why you are, but also what you are. What am I? This, fourth, this third question that Jesus has to figure out. I mentioned that just before this passage, Jesus is baptized. Well, for Jesus, baptism, like I said, was... Um, was the formal start of his ministry, but it was also his way of accepting God's ongoing invitation of love, of purpose, and relationship. And as he rose out of the water, he heard without a mistake the words of God's affirmation of him, of him. Not who he will be or what he will do, but just him. This is my son, whom I love dearly, in whom I find happiness. And it's the answer to this question, what am I that will sustain Jesus in his most painful and fearful and most anxious moments? The first message from God will echo within him and carry him through these difficult times. You are my beloved child. You make me happy. Not because of what you have done or what you will do, but because of you. Next week, we'll be welcoming some new members at Urban Village, and one of these new members, Katie Sexton, um, she's not here today, uh, will be baptized. And by her baptism, she's saying that she has heard God's invitation of love and that she accepts this identity as God's beloved child. By choosing to be baptized, she's accepting this and then also asking for help from this community to live into that identity because sometimes it's hard to live into that, right? The cool thing about baptism, too, is that when we baptize someone, we are reminded that all of this is true for us, too. You are a child of God. Who am I? Why am I? What am I? For Jesus, these 40 days were a time of spiritual reinforcement, spiritual strength training, preparing himself so that he can bear the weight of God's purposeful, powerful, and peaceable call on his life. His stomach was empty, but his heart was full. Depending on how you look at this passage, then, the tempter's timing couldn't be worse or more perfect in this passage. Maybe it feels like an opportunity to solidify all of this inner work that Jesus has been doing, to see what it looks like in practice, right? Jesus may be physically weak, but spiritually he is ready for American Ninja Warrior Palestine edition. <laughs> the tempter starts out by appealing to Jesus' personal need. Look, dude, you've got to be hungry, right? Why don't you turn these stones into bread and feed yourself? And at face value, it's kind of a reasonable thing to say. He has the power to do it, right? But this conversation, of course, isn't face value because the underlying temptation is this. Why don't you use your privilege and power to meet your needs? You're hungry, aren't you? And so Jesus can see right through this question. What he has is not for himself. And even if he did use it for himself, it would leave him empty. People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. 
Jesus has a bigger imagination than just getting mine for me and mine. And so he chooses to give up power. He knows that his power and privilege are for something much greater than himself. And it seems so silly, right? You're like alone in the desert. Come on. But it's, it's a chipping away, right? It's a chipping away at this deeper call and having the sort of incisive um, vision to be able to see what this tempter is trying to do within him. And so the tempter can see that Jesus is all up in God's word, right? So he changes tactics. Scripture says that God's angels will protect you, so why don't you throw yourself down from this really tall building? And again, Jesus can see what's behind this question because the question is really this. Why don't you try to make God do what you want God to do? And Jesus isn't here for it, right? My God doesn't do party tricks. I don't test God. I trust God. Think about it this way. Let's say you have a good friend, but you wonder, how much do they really care about me? So what do you do? Do you drive their car and use up all their gas without filling up the tank and then eat all their favorite flavored jelly bellies from the package? And all just to see if, like, test, right? Will they forgive me? How dedicated are they to me? No, right? You trust the friendship, and it gets tested when it gets tested because you're not petty and insecure. So, okay. <laughs> The tempter sees that, God is a, or that Jesus is a tough nut to crack. One more try. And this one is his ace in the hole. He says, I will give you all of these kingdoms and empires if you will devote yourself to me. Now, in the passage, the bow down and worship me line feels so obviously wrong. Like when you're a kid and people tell you, um, you know, a stranger is going to pull up in a car and offer you candy. You know, that has never actually happened to me. But there have been other ways that strangers have probably tried to take advantage of me, right? So, so... Avoid, or like try, try to put this like obvious, you know, if you'll bow down and worship me um, thing, like it's a little bit of a foil because um, it's so obviously wrong. But what if it was more like, um, why don't you exchange your lofty thy kingdom come vision for a more realistic one? Don't you think that you could do more by becoming emperor than by being a radical nobody? Come on, let's be realistic. And this is the last straw for Jesus because it's the most insidious temptation to compromise, to reduce your imagination and accept that ultimately the powers of the world can't be changed and that, the power, that those powers are greater than the power of God. If you can't beat them, join them, right? In the right lighting, this can be a very convincing argument. You have to have a deep sense of clarity and discernment to see what's really going on that there's this kind of chipping away of your understanding of who or what holds the greatest power in this world. Is it God or is it the system? Is the best you can hope for a slightly better version of what we've got? Or does, it ha does God have a more radically life-giving vision for this world? Jesus maintains a radical imagination about what could be and so should we. And so, you know, as people who are not in the situation, it all feels very clear and straightforward, even if it's sort of freaky, right, to have a conversation with the devil. But take a moment to think. How frequently do you recognize when you are given an opportunity to exercise your power and privilege and are courageous enough to call it out in the moment, not after the fact? Or what about a time when you have responded to pressures out of a place of reflex rather than reflection? ultimately testing God rather than trusting God? 
Or have you ever settled for good enough? Even when you sense that God had envisioned more for you, more from you. This kind of clarity, the ability to sort of see through what's being presented to him, was possible for Jesus, not just because he was Jesus, but because he was Jesus and he took time to devote himself to spiritual practices that gave him space to think and reflect on who he is, on why he is, and on what he is. Engaging and living into these three questions are at the heart of what it means to adult your faith. And spiritual practices are a way to help you create space and time to do this. Sometimes spiritual practices look like your QT, right, your quiet time. I don't know if you came, grew up in those uh, kind of church settings, right, where you, you set aside some time for scripture and prayer. Um, that's great. That's one way to do it. Other times it might look like journaling or intentional time for reflecting on your days. Always, though, it, it's practices that help us maintain spiritual clarity, whatever it is. Removing distractions, choosing to avoid certain behaviors that keep you distant from God, distant from yourself, from others. Things that keep you living in the illusion of yourself rather than your truest self. Things that cut through all of that. What are you doing to dig in and see yourself and the God who made you with greater clarity, with courage? We all need these practices. And so this week I'm inviting you to adult your faith just a little harder to take your relationship with God to a new level by taking on a spiritual practice of some kind. And it's these little practices that give you what you need to walk down that challenging path of purpose and possibility that God hopes for you, that God envisions for you. God's hoped-for path for you, which is not easy, but is the truest, most real thing that you will ever experience. We begin that path by accepting God's invitation, and we keep on that path through practices that challenge us to take time, to be honest, and to live courageously. Practices that, when they add up, little things, right, that when they add up, enable us to be spiritual adults and put one foot faithfully in front of the other when the road gets really, really tough. This isn't about self-help or even self-improvement. It's about filling up our spiritual savings account to get through the times when we need to spend. Tempted, when we get tempted to opt out, tempted to give in, take an easier path that you know deep down is a path of compromise. So last week, um, I was talking with Brandon, um, who many of you saw earlier, um, He's one of our leaders here, and he teaches at Dulles Elementary School, uh, a school that we've had a relationship um, in an off-and-on kind of way just down the street. And over a few weeks, a week ago, just over a week ago, um, as he was preparing his classroom for the new year, um, Brandon heard shots fired. And as it turns out, uh, Nikea Aldridge, a mother of four, had just registered her kids for a new school year at Dulles. And um, she walked out, she was pushing a stroller, she had her kids with her, and she was standing in the parking lot talking to someone, and she was hit by bullets that were intended for someone else. And the school was on lockdown for hours as police came and took reports. Now Brandon said, all the teachers, and even worse, her kids will have to walk past this spot in the school parking lot where she was killed. Every day, as they arrive in the morning, and leave at the end of the day. You want to talk about the need for spiritual sustenance? 
How about trying to teach and nurture students where now even school is no longer a safe place? How do you begin a new school year when the blood on the pavement that they must walk into the must pass when they walk into the enter, and walk into the building is still fresh? How do you help them make sense of things when you yourself are wondering where is the sense? When we walk a difficult path, we need sustenance for the journey. We need each other to hold each other up and remind each other that we can make it. But we also need the kind of inner resources that can only come from the work that we do with ourselves and with our God. Spiritual practices are not an option when you choose to walk the difficult path. Your situation may not be as dramatic as this one, but it doesn't lessen the need. Because God made you, and God needs you to be a light in a world that is full of too many shadows. We feel those shadows every which way, but we are not overcome. The Apostle Paul put it this way, we are hard-pressed, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is what our faith says we can be because of who we are. People of resurrection. Because of why we are. People who live and work for wholeness of life for all. Because of what we are. Beloved children of God. If you're not quite sure how to get started, or you just want to try something new with spiritual practices, in the back there's a a little um, basket that's full of strips of paper. And each strip has a spiritual practice listed on it. It's nothing fabulous or difficult, especially, maybe depending on which one it is for you. But it's a way to begin to do this inner work, right, of getting some spiritual sustenance. Grab one or two or four and try it out, right? Try it for a couple of weeks or be like Jesus, do it for 40 days and see what it does in you, right? How does it get you closer to God? How does it cut through your illusions of yourself and make you a more authentic person? How does it bring you greater spiritual clarity? Try it and see what gets revealed. And then tell each other about it because we need to be encouraged. This story of Jesus in the wilderness, it's just the tip of the iceberg for him. And if you, and if you didn't notice at the very end, after all of that trial and difficulty, Angels came and attended to him. We're not just left to hang out dry, left to hang out and dry. We're not left hung out to dry. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) We have to go through what we have to go through, right? But we're not left on our own. God surrounds us with angels, angels in the form of community, cups of beer shared with people, angels in the form of strangers who do something nice for you, So this is the story of Jesus in the wilderness, just the tip of the iceberg. Did he know what was ahead? Probably not, but he was ready. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you call us to something greater than what we could have the courage to imagine for ourselves. And we thank you that you give us the things that we need to to answer and live into that call. We ask God for the discipline to engage in spiritual practices that will help us to rise up rather than hide out. Help us to be people who are willing to do the work, the inner work, 
so that we can participate in an outer transformation of this world. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.